Howdy. What's going on? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It is heard live every day, by the way, from noon until 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content, invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with links, become a patron. Go to thepetecalendarshow.com. This podcast is also supported by North Carolina businesses, so please consider supporting them. Try not to skip through their short ad. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And thanks so much for your support. GM's offering a, a massive buyout. Uh, there, uh, this is just announced today. It's offering buyouts for most of its salaried employees and global executives, and expects to take a pre-tax charge of up to one point five billion to cover the cost. It comes as layoffs by U.S. company in the past two months touched their highest since two thousand nine. Thank you, Joe Biden. Even as the Fed considers raising interest rates yet again, it's just not going well for those people in charge. It's just not going well for them. Even though they, they continue to tell us about how great things are, it's like, you going to believe me or your lying eyes? I, it's just unbelievable. The announcement comes as layoffs uh, are, are taking place hundred and uh, for more than a third of the over 180,000 job cuts announced. The largest U.S. automaker in January disclosed a $2 billion cost cut target, including reducing employment through attrition. Under the terms of the staff reduction, all U.S. salaried employees with at least five years of service and all global execs with at least two will be offered a lump sum payment and other compensation to leave the company. GM shares fell about uh, 1%, 58,000 salaried employees at the end of 22. Eligible employees interested in the voluntary program have to sign up by the March 24th. So where they're headed with this is, you know, they, they want to get into the electric car market. Don't forget that U.S. car manufacturers are required to have their fleets at 55 miles per gallon by 2026, if I'm recalling that correctly. So by 2026, your average, so if you looked at Toyota or Honda and all of these car manufacturers, their average, if you averaged all of their models together, would have to get to 20, it's a 55 miles per gallon. So that means a, a plethora, a, a virtual cornucopia, if you will, of, of hybrids and electric vehicles by then to compensate for the SUVs, which will be in short supply relative. I mean, they've got to do a lot. That means they've got to really extend the ranges on these cars a great deal because I'm, I'm telling you, th- this war on fossil fuels is one of the most horrific things we're doing to our society. And, and I say that as someone who spends a lot of time at the coast. And, and I, I, I will tell you this, when, whenever there's a disaster, one of, one of the, the pleasant things to hear after you're, that's happened and when you're recovering is the sound of a chainsaw, is the sound of, of trucks able to move debris and clean up things. You take that away. I challenge anyone to try to clean up a disaster, a tornado after a tornado goes through, after an earthquake, after whatever, insert disaster, and, and try to clean it up using only electric. And I'm not being naive or Pollyannish here. I owned a, a hybrid back in 2003, one of the, for the very first one on the open road that predated the flipping Prius. It was made by Honda, and I could, I could hypermile that sucker into 56 miles per gallon as a hybrid. The batteries, you replace them, they're extremely costly. They're still extremely costly. They're not cheap. Don't don't pretend they aren't. And the cars are still subsidized. At some point, the subsidies have to go away. The government can't keep buying your cars. But when you're cleaning up, it takes that. That's the kind of power you just, you can't set the solar cell out in your yard and your chainsaw be able to take care of what it needs. Uh, I spent a lot of time watching ships go in and out, the Cape Fear River. 
Those things are massive. They're not going to be running on wind or solar anytime soon. They're not. We did that. All of our ships ran on wind about 150 years ago. All of them. And you saw how fast they moved and how vulnerable they were. But they did. Renewable energy. Got the ships over here. Colonized. But do we want to live like that again? That's the real question. So we, at, at a certain point, we're, we're heading in a direction where the needs of the citizens are going to collide with this altruistic belief that we can do all these things, and it's possible to just do it with solar panels and windmills. Now, nuclear power, yeah, but still making that transference to cars and making sure cars can go uh, 200, 300 miles. You want to tour the nation, you get out in the West, they're not going to have the infrastructure to charge your car every 200 miles. It's not going to be there. You're not going to be able to carry enough halo devices in your car to get you there. So that that's one of the problems. And at the same time, you know, Joe Biden's tax uh, plan, it's, it's going to be DOA, but it's worth at least hearing what some of these things are. So under Biden's plan, by the way, he's proposed it, that you just can't believe this. Uh, it, it, it is the same tired class warfare. And I guess it works. I guess in some way, Democrats screaming about class warfare and redistribution or any kind of compensation works. It works to get people to vote for them because they believe they're voting them something out of it. Uh, a 25%, I, I, I just can't believe all this. Joe Biden will float a new 25% minimum tax on billionaires in his proposal set to be unveiled today, Biden uh, Bloomberg reported, among a series of new taxes on corporations and the wealthy. Now, I want you to think about that for a second. Is this, step back from it and say, you know, the rich pay their, we hear this, rich pay their fair share. And, and, and by and large, they do. We, we, act, we hear that they don't. We act like corporations don't pay taxes, but the people who earn the money from the corporations do. Um, it's absurd. So you want if you want to go after corporations, then you're going to hurt their ability to hire people. That's what you're going to hurt, first of all. The 25% minimum tax would apply to the top 0.01% of earners, citing officials familiar with the plan, a slight increase from Biden's budget last year, which pitched a 20% rate on households worth over $100 million. Now, now think about that. They're making the distinction there between a worth tax, a net worth tax, and a billionaire tax. So if you made a billion, they want to take $250 million right off or, uh, the top and, and send that in. So what are billionaires going to do? Well, they're just going to reduce it or defray it or put it somewhere else. It'll be deferred compensation or stock options or something. And with respect to a wealth tax, you should all be very wary when Democrats start talking about a wealth tax because it's going to be an assessment on you, everything you own, and what they can take from that on an annualized basis. So forget that you paid the taxes on your income already. Forget that you've paid the sales taxes after you earned it, you were taxed, and then you pay sales taxes. But they'll look at what you're worth and hit you on that. The Biden administration has estimated the nation's top earners typically pay an 8% tax rate. However, that figure is based on a calculation that includes unrealized capital gains. So they want to put a 25% minimum tax rate on unrealized gains. They want to move the capital gains tax from 20% to almost 40%. Now, I want you to, if you want to punish, think about the, the, the amount of people it takes to take a risk and invest their capital in something to realize gains. So you want to you take 40% of a capital gain that someone may get. These are the kind of horrific, you wonder who writes this policy. And, and, and if you think about it further, the Democrats want to punish the job creators. They want to punish the entrepreneurs, they want to punish the people that take chances, that take risk. Wouldn't you want to enhance that in a way? 
Don't you want, because even the, let's take it another direction. Let's go something ludicrous that, that nobody in their right mind except me would probably say. This would be political suicide for most people to say it, but not me. Is that if you think about every, think about a billionaire out there. So let's just say there's a random billionaire that lives in your neighborhood. Every act that they do with their money is enhancing and supporting somebody else in a way. The people who serve, that work in the home, they are paid. The people, if they buy cars, they, they, they're spending money, that's helping. And it's, it's the, the very fact that they're wealthy, part of what makes them wealthy is they're spending money. If they're saving money, well, a lot of times when they're saving and investing that money, then that money is being used to produce new companies, goods, and services as well. That's what, what increases the net worth of the nation is investment and risk-taking. It's what makes our country great. Oh, but we can't say that because it's MAGA. Republicans make America great. They never say make America great, or they don't say America is great or should be great. It's MAGA Republicans is now a term of derision and, and tearing them down. It, 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 is the, it is patently absurd the way this goes. Now, we know that everything that Biden's throwing out, but this is, this is kind of a, a, a tipping of the hat, if you will, to the various constituent groups that want more. I mean, it was just yesterday that in the month, of, the month that's honoring women, they presented an award to a man posing as a woman that's not a woman. So women fought for women's... We'll get into that next. We will. Women that fought for equal rights are now being relegated to the dustbin of history because they're not women anymore, I guess. I started the show today talking a little bit about, you know, kind of the the way parents raise children and the distinction between responsible citizenry and being raised by parents who who care. And 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 I don't mean it's going to sound like I'm I'm judging parental styles. I'm not. I'm judging governmental styles. How you parent, that's your business. In fact, I want more responsibility to be on the parent and less. I don't want my school systems raising my kids. I want them teaching my kids, but it's not their job to impart to them the value system necessarily. I don't want them uh, imparting political. It's great if if they're really good at, at having debates, teaching kids how to debate, teaching kids how to think, how to reason, how to be logical. In fact, it'd be great if they throw an economics course in there, but we can barely teach them how to read at grade level these days. It's kind of bizarre to me. It's not like the language became more difficult over time. It's that our ability to kind of teach has been diminished. No matter how much money we throw at it, we struggle. It's the same thing 40 years ago when Governor Hunt was pushing new educational initiatives and and Smart Start and Head Start and all the starts and Let's Start and Let's Go. But as they rounded the turns, they kept finding ways to go on the off-ramp and get distracted by bathrooms, to get distracted by a host of things that have nothing to do with teaching kids. Or, you know, finding a way to keep them out of schools entirely for two years. It's, it's kind of astounding the degree to which, to which that's taken place. But, but again, parental styles and government styles. So from a government standpoint, if you look at the two parties, the way they're generally constructed – One is primarily grounded in nothing is your fault. You are a victim. The world is against you. And if if but for something, whether it be but for your race, but for your gender, but for some circumstance in life, you would be fantastic. It excuses bad behavior under the auspices. It's not really your fault. Something happened to you to do this. And if only we just do something, insert government program, accolade, apology, handout insert that, 
then you'll be fine. You'll be whole. You'll be complete. You'll be ready to, to go through society and, and make things happy and the, the sunshine and rainbows and everything will be good and unicorns will flow down the street. But it's not true. It's, 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 a, it's a false reality. It's, it's one that, and, and, and the, the ultimate sadness of this is, in spite of all of that, it robs people of pride. And pride's not a bad thing. Arrogance is. Pride is not. Being proud of your country is a good thing. Being proud of your family is good. Being proud of your job. Those are all good things. Pride can be good. Being overzealous, different, but pride, good. Having those value systems, to taking pride in your work, having a value system gives you great joy in life. Having a value where you, where you honor your friends and your family, where you live as an example to others that come after you. Those are great things. But when you raise a society of dependence, you take from them their soul. And that's a great deal of what's wrong in society today. All of these programs that we talked about, Medicaid, Medicare, and all these, they, they, there's some good in them. Yeah, I said that. I'm not, I'm not a great believer in their massive expansion. And whenever you see it encroaching upon more and more of our ability to do so, and you look at the outcomes, if anything, there is an overwhelming need for these programs to be revamped, updated, made more efficient, go after the fraud, waste, and abuse. These programs, every one of them, Social Security, Medicaid, Medicare, all of them, the big three, you can't balance the budget without touching them in some way. Make them more responsible. But if you go to say those words, the Democrats will impugn your character, tell you you're trying to destroy old people and go after old women and children, young children, whatever. They say you're trying to destroy the very fabric of society. In truth, we have an incumbent responsibility to fix these things. Joe Biden adding billions and billions to Medicare. That's just ext all he's doing is we've done this for 50 years. We've kicked the can down the road. We find some gimmick to buy us time. Joe Biden will be long gone. Most of the people who vote on it are long gone by the time the next generation has to figure out, if, and the, the options for the next generation will be more difficult than this generation. It will not become easier. It's going to become more difficult to deal with it. But we've abandoned, we've, we've kind of abandoned responsible adulthood, haven't we? Instead of making, instead of government treating us in a responsible manner, they just act like everything's going to be fine. It, but for Republicans, these evil fascists, they don't even know what fascism means. Fascism is a way of controlling everything in society. That's just the opposite. We want government out of the way. I want, you want it. Less government. If you want to fix a lot of societal ills, find a way to bring things back to the local level. Find a way to get the federal government out of your life to find a way for states to do more, find a way for your local communities to do more, to help support their own people that are down on their luck, that are having trouble. Los Angeles, I was talking with some people the other day. In fact, I'm going to say, I was on a plane flight coming back from Kansas City, sat next to a couple from uh, Charlotte down to Myrtle Beach, wonderful couple. The first things out of their mouth is, hey, we're from California and we apologize. 
All right, are you prepared for a disaster? Do you need some advice? Are you looking for a military surplus that's real? Well, for more than three decades, the answer has been Old Grouch's Military Surplus in downtown Clyde. It is an old-school, traditional store. It's got a mix of modern and vintage items. See my friend Tim? He'll hook you up. He gets new stuff in all the time, American-made, because it's real military surplus. Camo, shirts, hats, customized dog tags, gear... Old Grouches on Main Street, downtown Clyde, across the street from the anti-aircraft gun. The shop is open Monday through Saturday and all the time at oldgrouch.com. Life is life is full. I mean, look, everyone wants to get happy and think, oh, I'll be happy if I just do this. No, your life is full of drudgery. Your life is full of bad things. That's what makes the good time so amazing. That's why it's important to live in that moment, that moment where you got, this was a perfect day. Live in that moment when it happens. There's a lot of them that aren't like that. Now, I want to get, uh, I was having a conversation on the plane with these folks, fine folks, great couple, ended up becoming good friends in, in less than a couple of weeks. And they were discussing, you know, we were talking about California. It was, it was a, a rather relatively short flight. And we got to spend some time later on in the week. But in Los Angeles, uh, it, let's talk about context and perspective. It's one of my favorite things to do in life is to provide context or perspective to issues or topics. And, and we're talking about the issue of homelessness, and and, and there's a reason I'm going there. There's a, a great piece today about this from uh, Unheard, H U N H E R D dot com, and so I'm, I'm talking about homelessness. If you're, you're going through Charlotte, if you're going through Wilmington, if you're going through Raleigh, Asheville, Asheville's you, you, it's easy. It's, it's it's on public display in Asheville more than almost anywhere else. You see this homelessness issue, but it, you, it's difficult to gain perspective. In the city of L.A., there are over 70,000 homeless folks. 70,000. Now, that's not perspective, Chad. Why the hell would I care about that? It's L.A., for God's sake. Those people are ruining themselves. They are. But it's a cautionary tale about large cities. L.A. is a massive city. And the people that represent L.A., some are 10, 12 million. Some are ridiculous. California has 40 million people in it. L.A., one of the largest cities out there. 70,000 homeless folks. For perspective, North Carolina has about 500, has 552 municipalities, towns and cities in the state, 552 of them, at least according to the League of Municipalities and their left-leaning backlights. 13 cities out of those 552 have a population greater than 70,000. That means the homeless problem alone is larger than 539 cities in the state of North Carolina. So go through almost any but the top 13, the Charlottes, the Raleigh's, the Fayetteville, Wilmington, Ash. I could name them all, Greensboro, Winston-Salem, Michael. Anyway, you go go through those, most of the small, and when you go through a town, next time you go through a city limit, imagine every single individual in that town is a homeless person. And those are cities that have claimed to provide the most infrastructure, the most to and instead of it solving that problem, it has made it worse. It has created a system of dependency. Now, there's a lot more to contribute there. There's an opioid, opioid problem. There's, there are a lot of problems that our government has done a terrible job of crushing or defeating or changing. The Mexican cartels are, 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 are laughing all the way to the bank. They have no value on human life. They don't care what they do. The Chinese produce a lot of those opiates, but our, our doctors in this country, a lot of them are fantastic doctors, but some are overprescribing. The pharmaceutical companies know they're overproducing opiates. But I just wanted to give you a little perspective. If you go through a city, 
you and you look at those those top cities in North Carolina. There's only 13 that are over 70,000. All the other cities are the entire population of those cities. And many counties, the majority of counties in the state don't even have that many folks out of the 100 counties we have. Now, here's the perspective on this a little bit. So this is from Unheard. Actually, a good piece. I want to try it. Joel Kotkin wrote the piece. And again, if you want to get in on the conversation, we'll stop that immediately. 570-1110. 570-1110. You're always welcome to give us a call. The death of ancient Rome wasn't so much a collapse as a slow, interminable decay between the 2nd and 6th centuries. I know, boring snooze fest, right? But anyway, their population declined from about a million to just under 30,000. 15 centuries have passed since then. Thousands of cities have been built. And yet, as Rome's greatest chronicler, Edward Gibbon, warned in 1776, a similar fate awaits our modern cities. This time, however, their decline will be radically uh, will be radical and will alter our perception of what urbanism looks like. London, New York, San Francisco, Chicago, L.A. These urban centers epitomized what folks in 1983 referred to as transactional cities based on high finance, high-end business, IT services. They were defined not by production and trade in physical goods, but by intangible products concocted in soaring office towers. For years, folks on the left and right envisioned a high-tech economic future dominated by dense urban areas. Charlotte and urban planners in Raleigh have pursued this endlessly. That's why you have light rail in Charlotte. That's why you the people want it in Raleigh. They want these dense urban centers. But it's just not happening. We're living in a world where a number of superstar companies chose to locate in a handful of superstar cities. Yet even before the current downturn, which is what's happening, the data defied the bravado. For decades, the ultra-tall towers that once symbolized urban greatness have been as anachronistic as the cathedrals in the Middle Age. Office occupancy has been declining since the turn of the century, along with the construction of new space. In 2019, before the pandemic, construction was one-third the rate of 1985 and half of that in 2000. More serious still has been the movement of people. Migration to dense cities declined starting in 2015 when large metro areas began to see an exodus to smaller places. By 2022, rural areas gaining population at the expense of cities. The pandemic clearly accelerated that process. Think Union County, Gaston County. The pandemic clearly accelerated the process with a devastating rise in crime and lawlessness, notably Paris, Washington, New York, L.A., London, San Francisco, Chicago, Philadelphia. In some parts of Chicago and Philadelphia, young men now have a greater chance of being killed by violence than an American soldier serving during the Afghan or Iraq wars. The fading allure of the big city, further undermined by the post-pandemic shift to remote work, also taking place against the backdrop of an urban economy that has increasingly rewarded few. Some districts, such as the north side of Chicago, experienced impressive growth, but they're often surrounded by severe deterioration in the rest of the city. One-fifth of residents in the 50 largest cities live below the poverty line. So what is the urban future? The answer lies in the central business districts, then the suburbs and exurbs. And this presents a nightmare for traditional urbanists. In contrast to central business districts, suburban offices have fared far better, while sprawled areas such as Tampa, Fort Lauderdale, Austin, Nashville have become the nation's hottest office markets. You can insert Charlotte and Raleigh in that. With the large majority of major metropolitan area residents already outside the urban cores, the most enticing economic opportunity may lie in modern-day versions of what Ebenezer Howard's garden cities, such as Cinco Ranch outside of Houston, New Albany near Columbus, Cary near Raleigh. Those peripheral developments have long disgusted planners and environmentalists. They've all, I'll think about that. The smart growth people have all been against sprawl, right? That's the, no, you want dense growth. It's not happening. People don't want it. They're rejecting it. Al Gore wanted it. 
They they hated sprawl. Sprawl's terrible, but sprawl is actually better for traffic. It spreads things out. Reality, they are not the carbon crazed dystopias depicted by urbanists. Far from being bedroom communities for commuters traveling to the city core, they are increasingly places with their own thriving town centers. By lending themselves to remote work and shorter commutes, they prove ideal for energy efficiency and emission reductions. And the reason I'm putting this out there is because we spent the first hour and a half talking about Medicaid expansion. We talked about this massive way to continue funding things because rural hospitals are struggling. But we're, we're, we're looking at this in a very static way. The truth of the matter is that we are seeing transformation. In the post-COVID economy, more people are working remotely. More people are able to move to remote locations. And our rural areas may see and could see and should see a significant revitalization. If North Carolina would get rid of the certificate of need laws, a lot of medical opportunities would move into these areas. If we would stop looking at Medicaid expansion so statically, the rural hospitals, if allowed to uh, evolve and be competitive, would be phenomenal centers of growth and opportunity. But we're looking at things so statically with still a city-centric view. Chad Adams, your guest host. It's been an honor and pleasure. It, it always is. The WBT staff, everybody, you hear me say that. And I don't get tired of saying it because they really are a class act. It's been an honor having done a lot of work for a lot of radio stations and, and included owning one at one time. Always a pleasure and an honor to be a part of what WBT does. Now, I do want to – I'm going to try to get to this in a way I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to figure out which way to go with it. And, and of course, your conversations, if you want to get in, 570-1110, 570-1110, you want to call in. But as you're looking at the wind energy world, like the, the climate change crowd, and, and let's forget about the climate change crowd so much, as, but there's been a big push. If you look at your battery powered cars, you still have to charge them. And so when you're charging these cars, a lot of you folks, not and I'm, it's not an accusation, it's a truth, a lot of us, we Americans that are charging cars are often charging our cars with coal. No, you're not putting coal in the tank. You're putting electricity derived from coal. So instead of using gas, you're using coal. Good old coal. So when you're looking at all the alternative energy stuff, you've got to look at the full spectrum and say, what, what are we really doing? And, and the wind energy issue has been a big one. In North Carolina, it's a massive proposal to put hundreds of these things offshore these things are about 700 feet high. In northeast North Carolina, they've got some of them that are 700 feet high. These are 70-story buildings in height. And, you know, you whatever you think of windmills, these things are they are huge. They're difficult to make. But old Greta, you remember Greta Thunberg, the face of the climate movement, the who's now adult enough that she can be, you know, picked on like everybody else. This week, Greta Thunberg joined the protest in Norway against wind farms that power 100,000 Norwegian household, households but operate on land used by indigenous Sami reindeer herders. The community asserts that the flickering of the blades and the noise they create cause distress to reindeer. Importantly, in 2021, Norway's Supreme Court, Court ruled that these farms violated the indigenous tribes' rights under international conventions. Greta, now opposed to wind energy. I don't know where. If you get rid of wind and you get rid of all the fossil fuels, you're kind of left with, what, hydroelectric, maybe nuclear? If the, if the left would ever adopt nuclear, I think we'd find a lot of common ground. But indigenous rights, human rights must go hand in hand with climate protection, she said. That can't happen at the expense of people. Well, a lot of what happens in, in this, this climate fight it affects people, not just tribes. Earlier this year, Swedish-owned mining company LKAB announced the discovery of a million tons of rare earth materials 
minerals, which are critical for renewable energy. Moreover, from the national security perspective, China controls mining and refining of rare earth minerals. The EU does not mine or refine them. After the Ukrainian invasion and the tensions over Taiwan, the Biden administration and the EU want to onshore important supply chains, including those pertaining to critical materials. 30 mayors of tourism-dependent New Jersey coastal cities want a moratorium on offshore wind because they're claiming they hurt whales and can led to their deaths in the Atlantic because there aren't many left over here. These mayors have been joined by the Native American Congress, which wants offshore wind moratorium both on the Atlantic and Pacific. Native groups are concerned about all this. Nevada's Thacker Pass lithium mine opposed by Native American environmental groups. Native American nations want to halt the project because their ancestral graves and cultural sites are located there. The Yakima Nation, Confederate tribes and bands of the Umatilla Reservation and Warm Springs Confederated Tribes opposed 1,200 megawatts of Goldendale pumped hydro because it would harm their areas. Opposition to renewable projects sprouting up across the country, including rural U.S. counties, seeking to restrict solar and wind farms. Similar rural opposition is happening in the UK, Germany, Spain, and Korea. Climate advocacy has passed through three phases. First phase, climate groups focused on fighting deniers, making sure that policymakers understood climate change is real. But at this point, it's a lot of pushback. In the second phase, climate groups focused on getting climate mitigation on regulatory and policy books. Now we're in phase three, challenges over everything that's going on because the supply side of this thing very difficult to deal with getting the materials for these windmills the impact on the environment the potential health consequences the backlash is real and shouldn't be dismissed as client denialism or reflecting the typical nimby politics the opposition should be a reality check ignoring pushback from marginalized communities raises doubts about the importance attached to equity and justice now think about that You've got the political left now engaging in a fight against itself because on the one hand, it wants this climate change stuff. And on the other, they, they, they're pursuing equity and justice, social justice. So ultimately, what's beautiful about some of this is the left at a certain point when it gets enough going, it collapses on its own logic. It will with the transgender issue. It will, with so many other aspects of what it always does, it, it pushes and it pushes. You know, I was talking with my wife last night about, how hey, you get to the fringe of an issue 30 years ago, and they say, oh, it's just about rights. It's just about being equal. And then that gets established, and then they push more, and they push more, and then they push into heretofore un, unforeseen and unpredictable places. They absolutely have. They absolutely did. And so now we have this issue of, you know, I was in the Kansas City, brand new Kansas City airport. Non-gender specific bathrooms. You go in, women women were kind of looking freakily around when that was going on. I'm not sure they liked walking in with a bunch of men walking in right behind them. This is a brave new world indeed. Chad Adams, your guest. So it's been a pleasure, been an honor here at WBT. Pete, back tomorrow. Folks, have a fantastic rest of your day. ACC tournament going on. We'll see you soon. Thank <laughs> you.